our family never ever watched films i don't remember going to the theater with my parents at all the best thing about what our parents gave us uh, we were allowed to take little risks here and there and we knew we could always come back to them for the protection namaste and welcome to indian entrepreneur i am your host shwet nag on today's episode we have a very special guest shruti harihara subramanian who is a filmmaker and a co-founder of goli soda store shruti won a national award for her first documentary film a far afternoon a painted saga by krishan kanna in 2018 she crafted her next documentary harmony with a r rahman which is a curated exploration of the past and future of indian music through the eyes of a r rahman This documentary is available on Amazon Prime. Shruti is also a founder trustee of the Cinema Resource Center, which is a public archive of Indian films and promotes film culture from a historic, educational and artistic perspective. So let's talk to Shruti and find out more about her and how she went about making documentaries. Hi Shruti, welcome to Indian Artpreneur. It's an honor to have you on our show. So my first question to you is your first documentary a far afternoon a painted saga by Krishan Kanna won national award in 2016 what made you choose this topic um for me uh, as by now i keep telling everybody many things in life come to me i i stopped searching for things long time ago um So this was around the time uh, 2014-15 and few years before that itself I had decided to move on my own as an independent director after working with many feature film directors as their assistant and when that journey uh, began uh, like most uh, people here from Chennai uh, the standard process is you assist a director in feature films then you write a script and then you pr- approach other producers or probably big actors and then uh, get an opportunity to make another feature film and that i thought that would be my journey as well um but during that period of course it's a tough uh process uh you get rejected and uh, you don't know uh, where exactly you're going you, you you're tr- struggling to get your first break um so what i used to do is among many things to keep uh, myself motivated i used to make these uh, corporate films more for bre- bread and butter but of course to not forget my skills in making films uh, as i wait to make my feature film so uh, far afternoon actually came to me but not as far afternoon uh, the piramal art foundation uh, they came across that this eminent artist krishan kanna um uh, was doing this uh, large format painting and they themselves or even the artist himself didn't know how big it's going to be but they knew that this is going to be something rare that this artist is going to do and it had to be immediately archived and cataloged uh, so they said we immediately need a camera and somebody to go and shoot uh, initially i was a little hes- hesitant because the artist is in 
uh, Gurgaon in Delhi and me and my team were based mostly in Chennai and uh, I was focused more on writing my scripts and things like that and I said uh, no I'm not sure if I can just suddenly take up the camera and go like that but they were really desperate and I just uh, took it up like how I would take any other you know feature film uh, corporate film work but once I got there um, meeting the artist and seeing him work and the stories he was saying um, I realized this had a potential to be a, a film in itself um, at that point honestly we weren't too sure if it's going to be uh, like a short film or a long format or what kind of documentary but I said you know we shouldn't miss out on this opportunity to see a 90 year old man paint and to have the kind of stories that he says is something precious so we went about shooting in the initial schedule went back did our research on the artist and uh, there's so much about the artist and uh, we said okay what we have with us is actually unique the journey to see an artist paint his process that is something very rare uh, that one an audience would get to see so let's focus the film on the process of how the artwork began and its journey and eventually it became a 20-foot artwork um, and then our film too kind of grew with the painting and we realized it can't just be a short film it's something more than that and it uh, became a full feature length uh, documentary and once that happened my editor was saying you know it's turned out um, quite well I mean it, it's not too bad why not you know send it for festivals or awards and yeah the rest uh, you can say is history uh, we won two awards it uh, went for many film festivals because until then even I wasn't sure the quality of the film I, I because and we, I wasn't sure about the journey of how to take a film to a film festival and things like that but when she put this little seed in my head I said okay why not give it a shot we started applying for these festivals and awards and and then it got its recognition that it deserved. So, uh, what was the size of the team uh, when you shot uh, this documentary? It was a very, very small, small team. Uh, I was pretty much doing most of the things. Uh, I was lucky to have a good cinematographer, a very uh, good editor. They were my, uh, you could say, my uh, pillars in that string, uh, sense. Um, yeah, we were. That's about. That was the core team in that sense. Um, the rest were kind of like uh, based on how the shoot was going or what it required. The the you know the assistance for the camera or lights or things like that. But we also were conscious. Besides the budget, we were also conscious uh, to keep the team look small because the artist studio was a very small space and for the artist uh, when he was painting in his studio it was almost like a meditative process for him or even for us as a viewer or people shooting it felt like that so it really didn't make sense to you know invade his space with a lot of people coming in or distracting him so we tried our best to keep the crew very small of course we had our live sound person also uh, Karthik uh, yeah so we tried to keep it as uh, tight as a team and even like in terms of 
most of the time production or coordinating everything else it was mostly me calling has the food arrived or you know stuff like that so a lot of multitasking of course i had some friends uh, who helped me um uh, coordinate few other things from chennai um my husband is the one who's actually featured in the film he knows about art uh, he is an art promoter ashwin so um because at that time when i started the film i knew nothing about art or this artist so when i was suddenly thrown to make this film and i was wondering oh my god i'm not done enough research what would be ask our uh, protagonist i shouldn't sound you know stupid so i i brought my husband and i said you ask him the questions and so that i i don't look like a person who's not done her homework but the best part is as i said the artist was very um, you know very such a charming and a comfortable a person to be with uh, in fact we much later exchanged a lot of letters handwritten letters which is okay. so rare nowadays um, he has such a beautiful handwriting such steady handwriting even at this age till i mean now he's 95 uh, and over the course of the film as well um, i understood his work i had time to then catch up on some research understood him his process so over time i actually told my husband you really don't have to come now i can manage and uh, yeah we made the team even more smaller after that it was really a good journey now i am curious to learn about your childhood could you tell us about your parents schooling and what kind of kid you were i have never heard in any interview so i am very curious <laughs> no thank you for asking because as yes not too many people have asked about my childhood but i think a lot of who i am i owe to my childhood um uh surprisingly or i i don't have any like major stories of um incidents i've just had a you could say a very normal happy uh childhood i had no complaints um we are a family of uh, four my father mother i have an elder sister and me and my el- elder sister is about 6 years older than i am but she always felt more of a mother than me than my own mother uh, so it was more like a mother daughter relationship in that sense more than those typical uh, sisters you know having uh, keeping secrets <laughs> together it was not like that so i was actually well taken care of i had three older people in the family who took good care of me um I'm sure my sister also had to make uh, we were a normal middle class family from Chennai so I guess she had to make more sacrifices in the kind of uh, career she had to choose or things like that being the elder in the family probably I was given a little more freedom to make those choices funnily um, our family never ever watched films I don't remember going to the theater with my parents at all uh, but we were a very um, I mean my, the best thing about what our parents gave us is a lot of security in terms of um dependency and uh, uh love like the thing is they allowed us to flourish uh we were allowed to take little risks here and there uh and we knew we could always come back to them for the protection we always also were told to keep certain values and certain ethics uh in mind always in whatever we did uh they just wanted us to flourish well in whatever we did i think they encouraged us they've never said no to any of the things we wanted to do uh, within the means that they could do 
and I guess we were also lucky because there was no other man in the family besides my dad and my dad I think was a very sensitive uh, father as opposed to most fathers of those generations so for us we were not my sister and I were not differentiated saying okay this is how boys should be or this is how girls should be we were just being the best versions of ourselves uh, yeah so we were always uh, uh, the family also was always inclined in some ways like in music or dance like my mother uh, was a good singer and she always wanted she thought I'll take up singing or something and that's why I named me Shruti uh, my si- sister's name is Shweta by oh, the way interesting. Okay. yeah so um, so there was always music and art and my father loves uh, photography now after retirement he's pursuing it a bit more uh, so there was always art or creativity in some form but uh, uh, like most uh, normal Indian families, you know, it was more like hobbies and uh, uh, never thought of taking it up as a mainstream uh, career. Uh, besides that, uh, I was very active in uh, my school's nature club. Uh, I was an active girl guide, Girl Scouts. A lot of um, who I am, again, I credit to my experience in being a Girl Scout um, we were really learn, learning to be tough cookies, like, you know, uh, trekking and camping in the outdoor, cooking in the outdoor, uh, being away from family, taking care of each other as a group, you know, taking care of the younger ones in the group. Uh, it really built my personality in that sense, because uh, especially in uh, uh, the process of filmmaking, the, especially when you go out for shoots and these stuff terrains and locations uh, I think I was able to uh, endure it from from those experiences like even if it means you know going in the woods to yeah. pee, you know everything you you are mentally prepared to think it's okay you're not fussing too much about it or one day you're not having a best meal uh, you still have to you, I've learned to put up with it uh, because or eat all kinds of food that's served or sleep in all kinds of conditions or stand all day and night out whether it's rain or sun you know shoots are like that sometimes so I think those uh, were very strong lessons I learned when I was young and I'm thankful that even my parents encouraged me to take part in such things but yes otherwise we are just a close-knit traditional Indian family that's about it Uh, and yeah, they've never, for us, it was more about, um, for my parents, as I said, it's always about making sure we take up something, we do it well. But of course, make sure you don't embarrass the family in any way by doing so as well. Keep that in mind as well. Yes, so uh, I've had a pretty normal childhood and my school as well was very, um, it was at that point, one of those a little open-minded school which focused a lot more on extracurricular activities and then not just studies like most uh, traditional Indian schools so I was active in almost all extracurricular activities in school music dance theater sports Um, I I used to take part in everything uh, maybe like even sometimes win a third prize or a second prize the best part is I was never the best in anything I was not the best singer I was not the best dancer but uh, that's why I felt uh, that's why I'm probably I'm a good director 
if I am, uh, because I knew a little bit of everything. Uh, I was jack of all trades, uh, but master of none. So as a director, much later when I look back, uh, it makes sense because uh, knowing a little bit of theater, it helps me to guide my actors or you know, uh, uh, knowing a little bit of music helps me to have a conversation with a music director asking what I want out of it. I might not know the exact ragas or I might not know what a C chord or C minor, whatever those things are, but I just know a bit of everything. So it helps me in communicating with my uh, technical team, I feel. So those are a bit of my experiences that now when I look back, I'm very grateful for. You know, interesting because the, you already came to the point why I asked this question as well. Because as a child, you know, we become sensitive to certain things. Actually, that becomes a leading path in the future. And that I see in my life too. So I thought what made, you know, and you have really answered it very well. Um, thank you. No, a lot of credit goes to my parents because as I said, we never went to watch films. Um, so it did take me a little bit time to fee, uh, understand yeah. if they will be okay if I joined this industry. But of course, initially I myself wasn't sure because I didn't have that kind of exposure. So it was a slow journey. I started off first in front of the camera, behind the camera. So even then my parents didn't want to say no, but they made sure they did a little bit of homework, asked a few people. Uh, they accompanied me in the first two shoots and then when they saw I'm okay, uh, I'm able to handle myself, they let me be. So they gave a good balance of not spoon feeding me because yeah. in cinema you'll see these parents, sometimes these mothers who are constantly behind uh, somebody and making sure uh, they speak or do the, uh, you know, the business or manage their business and things like that. Uh, some. Uh, though I feel okay if I had somebody like that guiding me my life would have been easier to handle but they didn't do that either at the same time it's not like they said okay you do what you want we have no clue what you're doing but they kept watch of what I was doing as well and the best part is once I did get full time into films okay. uh, my parents actually actively started to watch films uh, they when started going to film festivals um, and then my father would come back to me and try to have a conversation on why this film was good or not. They took the effort to understand films and the film industry. And now, of course, with Netflix, Amazon, they're probably watching a lot more films than I am at post lockdown. But they, they, uh, they took the effort to understand uh, the career I am in so that probably they'll understand me uh, better. So I, I guess I'm fortunate to have such a uh, background. And of course, uh, now with my husband and in-laws, you know, they are also equally supportive because especially for a woman, a woman without such support, it's quite uh, difficult to, uh, you know, come back home after like a crazy few months of being away and traveling and things like that. So I think um, for me, more than anybody else, for me, family uh, is very important. My uh, uh, then any I mean you go you travel a lot you go for shoots it's crazy but then you come back home this is reality so that's that keeps me grounded very nice what did you do your education in in I mean your bachelor's so that's the thing so uh, I always loved um, 
animals and wildlife and things like that so i thought this is the uh, space i would get into because as i said anything related to art didn't seem normal for uh, a girl from my background and cinema though i was drawn into the world i was so um, it it didn't i i was kind of lost i felt okay nobody i know was in cinema i mean maybe it's for people of a different kind of from different background maybe not everybody can get into cinema and remember this was a time where internet was just coming in unlike before where you can just contact uh, celebrities or tech filmmakers you love through social media or send out an email or even watch uh films on netflix or dvd i mean even dvds were rare, quite rare then uh in india at that time so everything seemed a little too far for me but then uh, so i thought i would actually take up uh something in the science field so uh, in my high school i did take up biology i was great at it um uh, i thought i would take up environmental science or zoology or something like that but then then one day it just hit me saying oh my god if i take this uh, stream i might have to you know forget the creative side of me altogether i might not be able to get into this wor- world that i want to be in i don't know how mm-hmm. or as what um then that's when luckily around that time there was this new course that came up called visual communication uh it's a bsc course which kind of handled uh, many uh, creative um lines like uh, they uh, did a little bit of photography graphic design advertising uh mm-hmm. television production so i thought that would be a good start for me they even had fine art so a good start for me to see if i'm am i good at this because indian schools again don't really Uh, encourage your creative side that much i might be participating yes. in all the culturals i might be singing dancing getting prizes but nobody says hey you're creative and you can take this as a career so yeah. i needed to explore that so i remember that one night going up to my dad and saying you know what i don't want to apply for these things or i don't want to take it up i want to take up viscom so he was a little surprised because he thought i was so focused on uh uh you know being uh, Uh, taking up uh, zoology or something uh then i said no i don't know maybe good thing is my dad as i said was in photography and uh, for a few years he was in advertising as well so i said maybe i want to explore advertising i don't know because that felt the closest i could get because there were in few others from my family and friends who were into advertising as well but yeah so i did that course at that point only one uh college gave that course option in chennai for girls so i had this just one shot to take part uh, uh, you know apply for that course and to get selected otherwise the other option was to take up zoology or something like that which anyway i got through but this had multiple rounds of exams and interviews and things like that but uh, finally i got through that uh, but i think a lot of my education i would say more than what happened in um class a lot i owe to my the work or the experience that i had so from probably my end of the first year or we started doing internships in various organizations and then i took up work i think 2002 i won miss chennai and after that i took up a lot of work in front of the camera so those experiences i think is what i owe a lot to than my actual education in school 
I agree, uh, Shruti. Because I think hands-on is more important, right, uh, than this uh, uh, normal route of education. When you moved from uh, commercial cinema um, to documentary filmmaking or this uh, video for corporates, what is that one thing you had to un unlearn and relearn? Because the format shifts, right? Good question. Because, uh, as I said, though I took up television production in college, um, as I said, it's a very basic course. We didn't go in-depth. It was just part of the many courses we had. Um, so I most of my learning was on the field as an assistant director in feature films. Uh, then when I was thrown to make uh, Far Afternoon, um, I was really, really lost. Um, and then it had to, I had to find my ground and it took me a little bit of time. But the few things um, in hindsight, I figured, I mean, some things I think I was doing instinctively, some, uh, yeah, most of it initially started off very instinctively. But I think in hindsight and um, through the process, I learned that one major thing about feature, the difference between feature and uh, uh, non uh, and uh, documentaries is that uh, it's prime the scripting process. Uh, of course, um, I mean documentaries also script, uh, but there is a uh, but even within that there are various methods of how a documentary can be made. There are some documentary filmmakers who are just fly on the wall. They keep shooting, 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 and then they script the film later. But a feature is you script the film, uh, and for somebody like me, I would like the script to be complete. Um, and then you plan each scene and shot the mise-en-scene. Uh, everything is pre-planned. So when you come on the set, the, there is a lot of planning for that, saying, okay, this is where the camera will come. This is how the person will enter. Oh, okay, maybe we should make him wear this dress and this thing so the color kind of works better. Um, you know, and the, uh, from here, the camera can move from here and then we'll cut. Then we'll change the camera. So there is a lot of planning of how that scene is constructed based on what the script is written. But uh, in documentary, as I said, you can probably have a script before you go on the set. Some people don't go with a script at all. I go with a semi-conceptualized thing. I don't really go with a script. You can't say I don't go with a script. But I'll go, go saying, okay, I want probably these things covered in the film. But a lot of it is shot impromptu. Um, you need to uh, be the fly on the wall. You need to go with what the activity is happening. You can't really plan and say, I will keep my camera here and the activity has to change accordingly. The camera should adapt to the activity. So if that is happening, uh, I am a lot dependent on my cameraman at that point. Uh, there is no too much of cut, uh, action calls happening because suddenly somebody will be walking and you'll have to immediately switch on the camera and follow the person. Uh, hardly any retakes can happen if you want to keep things real. Um, again, there are documentary filmmakers who kind of recreate, reenact uh, situations. So this was um, one of the primary things I learned. And um, the main thing about documentary, a lot of time goes into the editing process. Um, that is probably the, where the actual scripting happens. So if um, 
if the scripting of a feature film takes say 6 months uh an edit for a documentary could take that long because that's how much is happening uh so sometimes for a documentary the pre production would might be very minimal you can even take the camera like i did just catch a flight land up there and start shooting but on a feature film set you can't just do that you can't just land up and say this is what i'm going to shoot everything has to be a little more planned so yes so these are the two major things i kind of learned and unlearned the process but i feel um a few elements of what i learned in feature films i think like without me knowing kind of comes into the films i do as well um uh, if you take far afternoon um uh, we were struggling for a long time uh how to introduce uh, or start the film like we created structure for most parts of the uh, film but how do we open the film and then uh, as we were looking through the rushes again this is the thing about documentary the protagonist was sitting on the he was sitting on his chair and talking on the phone to someone um and we were actually behind and we started rolling that this is something unplanned uh the phone call just came and we started shooting and because of the lack of space the camera landed up being at the back so you could only see his back him on the phone and him talking saying oh i'm doing a large painting oh it's about you know a wedding procession and things like that um so that happened by chance that we got that material and then i thought that would make a good beginning because it's like a hero introduction shot you know you don't really in the, uh, any typical indian film you see a bit of the hand you see a bit of the face you see the foot and then finally the face and the voice and everything is revealed so i told my editor let's go like that so we because we had enough shots of the painter painting his works we had a lot of close ups of his paint and his brush and things like that um we when we did all that we showed all those things and then we showed only his back and he's talking about the painting to somebody else like a little introduction that um you know i'm doing a painting it's a large work and all that and finally we reveal uh this artist so a lot of how the the, the tricks that were used um in mainstream films i kind of unknowingly or knowingly added into this most of my films as well similarly um uh, uh, there's a whole portion uh, of him. i wanted to show the process of him painting um the work and i wanted to bring out the meditative um, you know the the feel that happens when we are sitting in the studio as he paints but i was breaking my head about how can one you know bring about that feeling in a documentary you know and then i said let's treat it like a musical piece uh, like any cinema which brings out your emotion through music any feature film whether it's love or you know sadness or whatever uh, so we created this little meditative musical piece and we edited a montage of the process of how this artist paints so yes i guess my thinking is still a bit uh, on the lines of a feature filmmaker in that sense coming to the main topic you know uh, your second documentary harmony with ar rahman which has an outstanding rating of 9.2 on imdb something only a few indian documentaries made that mark how long did it take 
from the time of its conception to the first clap? Um, it's hard to say because when do you say uh, the idea comes in? You know, it's hard to say that. Um, uh, but you could say um, um, the the producers actually approached me with the concept of saying, you know, we have access to uh, Rahman. Uh, why don't we do something related to instruments, uh, something rare, maybe put it together. Um, what can you do? You know, the minute I took that meeting, I think my the clock in my head started to tick. Um, so, though from there to finally the release of the series in August 18, uh, 15, uh, yeah. I think till August 13 or something was when the final, I think, edit went. Ooh. I think we was working till the last minute. Uh, so, it's probably almost a year worth of work but um, uh, as I said for this a lot of work went into the conceptualizing stage the research uh, we did a lot of research in finding who these musicians are and a lot of back and forth and of course things like um, Amazon being on board was not confirmed then uh, we had to get a final go from Ramansa as well. So a lot of back and forth, but mostly the conception, uh, the recce, the, not even the recce, conception and the research. That what took us a lot of time. In fact, for a series like this, uh, this one would want a lot more time to go into yeah. the shoot and the edit. But due to the lack of time and the pressure of wanting to release the series by August 15, that was actually the shortest. Uh, but you, shortest in terms of time, but for the whole team, we were working round the clock to meet our deadline. So there were days we not even left our office and we were sleeping there day and night to get the work done. So, um, yeah, so we, I think by it was Jan end of Feb beginning, if I'm not wrong. We started our first leg of recce and immediately went about our shoot. So you can imagine how, and that too, we had oh, to man. cover the length and breadth of India, uh, get Ramansa's dates. And of course, places like Sikkim to reach uh, itself would take us almost a day and a half. Uh, there are no direct flights. And then the nearest airport to anywhere to Gangtok City would take another five hours of drive um, and then we had to like settle in uh, or if we had to go to another village or something from there that's another three four hours um, and then start the next day shoot uh, yeah so actually the shooting and the editing process hardly took any time but we wanted to make sure that our research was solid um, our uh, conception of what the series should be we were ensuring was uh, paka before we went ahead uh, with the final uh, shoot and putting the series together. And of course, with Rahmansa, uh, he is such a perfectionist. So as I said, till the end, he wanted to make sure that the music turned out well. Uh, uh, we were also then every time when the music was one 
notch better than the last time then we would want to relook into the edit and see can we do something better so yeah so there were a lot of back and forth uh, day and night of round the clock work that went into it how did you go about choosing the team the dop mr virat singh gohil uh, done a fantastic job editor vijay shankar again a fantastic job the way the cross cuts were made the transitions were made can you tell how did you choose this team <laughs> see some many years ago one thing um, I, i i think when i was in a very low point or something i was asking something oh my god how can i do this you know is it even possible um, can i something like that i was worried and i was asking having a conversation with someone and he said in tamil i'll try my best to say it in english uh, he said why are you worrying uh, worrying when things have to happen the right people will come at that point um, you don't have to worry about that and uh, that really struck me and uh, and then when i look back in life many of the things that happened in my life were like that you know uh, uh the right people came for the right period probably they are no more with me right now they they would have gone to do something else or i would have gone to do something else but when something needs to be done they come and they go it's like it we were meant to collaborate um uh, it happens so as i said if you're you're crediting uh, harmony so much uh it's not just my job it's the team that came together till the last person who served tea to my assistants to of course uh, the main technicians um so um, how the team first as i said the primary team member in the beginning besides of course the producers coming and saying this idea is there and supporting the vision i had in mind was to uh, put the research person together find the right research person for this so uh, vaishnavi ramnathan who's uh, a good friend of mine she came on board and then we started the process of uh, filtering filtering researching she went travel she went into libraries and then it's not uh, just sitting in front of the computer kind of research she really went out there and we had a good discussion on what to go for what not to go for viraj uh, yes he really really uh, has taken harmony to the next level in terms of visual he and i have worked on many projects before this uh, we did actually a ve- the first project actually was a music uh, video that we did uh, again across length and breadth of india uh, we did that then uh, we did a very uh, small um, documentary for an ngo so we worked together before Uh, many times and as i said viraj too came into my life like that because the music video project uh, again i went uh, on a recce with another dop uh, but for some reason i was not vibing with that person he was not getting what i uh, understanding what uh, i'm saying uh, probably he didn't uh, i was not understanding what he was saying so i this was a tough recce across uh, himalayas uh, Rajasthan and across India we finished the recce and uh we were having this deadline to submit this music video but then something inside me said this is not happening if i go with this person and shoot it's not going to happen and i had to take the tough call and said okay even if i've gone on a recce with this uh, dop 
I might have to say that this is not happening with him and I had to break it off and tell him but then who am I going to go with uh, and I had to uh, like start shoot almost like next week and I was um, sitting in my office downstairs and I was like kind of looking lost and wondering what to do, who can I call, what is the next thing. So a friend of mine walks in and this is a friend that uh, I've not been in touch for a long time. And he comes in saying, hey, what's happening and stuff like that. I said, and he's uh, a executive product, a producer in a, a big uh, well-known company to a well-known director. So I was saying, hey, you know what, this is what's happening. I'm just figuring out which DOP I need to go for. And that very second he said, hey, you should work with Viraj, my good friend. You know, he'll be perfect for this project. And he was. I mean, without Reki, uh, Viraj and I immediately were able to get in sync and finish that uh, music video project, which was equally tough, tough terrain, about 20 member crew traveling across the length and breadth of India in a short span of time. So I tell people I've known Viraj now long enough and we are gone on so many shoots and been away for so long. It feels like we are practically married. Like I know how he's thinking and even if I can sense, okay, if he's being going to get hungry, it's not a good thing because he'll, he's like a child. If he gets hungry, he's not in a great mood. So then I'll have to immediately tell the team, I could sense it, I'll tell the producers, please get the food ready soon, you know, uh, because, you know, I can sense that Viraj is not, uh, he's getting hungry. So that's how uh, we are in sync, Viraj and I. So he was, uh, when I told him about Harmony, he was equally excited. And the good thing about Viraj is he doesn't look at the scale of the project. Whatever excites him, he takes. If it's a big film, it's a small ad or a documentary, he takes up whatever he feels is exciting. And he loves traveling. So sometimes he's even taken up projects that doesn't pay if they take him, say, to South America or Greenland or something like that because he's so passionate about adventures and traveling. So so it's a project like this totally excited him. So we've been discussing from the minute um, we knew this project was happening, we were exchanging ideas and concepts and I was telling him uh, what I would like and we were very I was very clear and we were discussing that, that this sh should be a very visual documentary because documentaries always have this notion of it can be a little boring or very, uh, very, very, what do you say, clinical. So we wanted to make sure that um, this is a visual, uh, what do you say, visual experience. It has to be a visual and an oral experience because it's uh, music as well. So um, how can we make it visual? So we took the extra effort to find the right kind of locations. And anyway, we were going to some beautiful uh, places in India. So finding the right location was not a big problem. But how did we want to portray those visuals? And we had a lot of conversations. Um, Vijay came through Viraj. Vijay and Viraj were uh, are very good friends. And as I said, people come to you when you want to. So uh, I didn't know Vijay before this. This was our first project together. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Vire Vijay and Viraj go back many years ago. Uh, so they are good friends. And uh, he recommended Vijay. Vijay, when he heard this concept. Uh, so I made like a mock trailer of... Uh, what harmony should be in terms of 
my vision like a mood board i picked up some stock footage and edited it to put together as a trailer and i said this is the mood i'm looking for for the film and when he saw it he immediately loved it he in fact he's based in kerala but he moved to chennai just for this project so that he can be part of this project he took up a room um very very simple guy very a lot of the credit for how emotionally connected this uh, series is a lot of the credit i must give it to vira uh, vijay because he is a extremely sensitive person one of the most sensitive person i've seen so yes so that's how the team came together and i must also give credit to mahesh narayan who edited uh, the uh, manipur episode uh because of the lack of time and the pressure we had uh vijay and i couldn't com- just with vijay we couldn't have completed all the five episodes on time so uh mahesh narayan as you know is a big director now but he was a good friend of mine at that point uh, and vira uh, vijay and he also go back many years so i requested him saying could you just help us you know uh edit this episode for us the third episode um because we need a good editor on board for a series like this so he immediately jumped on board and he also uh, brought in some beautiful elements to the manipur episode as well yeah. when you are plug and playing so many artists i mean uh, technicians and artists uh, did the production house say the budget is no problem go ahead and do it this is the output or how did they approach this whole complex project you know in terms of uh yes complex is a very uh, right word put in i think we were fortunate like i'm sure the producers had their own pressures in terms of budgets and stuff like that um but i think we were all very keen on first giving a good uh product we didn't want to compromise on the product and of course with somebody like raman sir on board again we can't really compromise on quality uh, after a certain point so and i guess we um, as a team i myself am quite conscious on about money in that sense because i don't believe in i mean i am a person who believes in sustainability so for me uh wasting money for no reason is something i i can't handle it really makes me feel guilty so uh i always make sure uh uh my uh schedules are planned well we preplan a lot of things again for that a lot of credit goes to my uh assistant shiva who you know made sure we were planned well before we went on the spot um you know so we make sure we from our end at least from uh the direction department in we make sure that we are not doing any wastage in that sense like we don't just land up and then say hey we want this or want that or call somebody get an equipment which we hardly use or things like that so we kind of make sure that whatever we do uh we work in the best uh, budget that we can of without again compromising on the quality and viraj too as i told you the advantage of viraj is he's worked in multiple budget films uh unlike say a big dop who's worked only on big cinema they would want the same thing no matter what in every film they work but with viraj he's the kind who's work with he will probably carry his own camera and shoot without light and he's actually a, his advantage is also he's brilliant working with natural light as well 
so uh, in terms of even uh, his experience of working in a lean team or uh, in a not so big budget he was also able to come up with uh, his requirements to the bare minimum so of course maybe the producers also had their methods to make sure uh, things were not uh, you know going over the top in terms of budget but yes i've just been lucky that uh, they were supportive through this journey they never said no you can't use this or no we can't give you this um and the thing even if they did uh, i think over time as a director i've also learned uh the primary job of a director is to execute the vision with the means that you have so if they did put their foot down to say no we can't give you this then then it's up to me to really you know expand my mind or my creativity and see okay now we don't have this uh, now what else can we do to still achieve what we want and uh, this is not just with regards to producers i mean there might be some we might choose a location to shoot something but that day you know it'll suddenly start raining then what do you do but and you can't go back you have the crew only for that day so these are things i think primarily a director's job is anyway to uh, come up with alternatives always have plan a b c set you know get your team prepared to adapt to you know situations in case it doesn't go as planned so and as i said especially for documentary some of these things keep changing as well so yeah so we've just been fortunate these things have come together the weather had supported us a lot of things also um, it's been a blessing in that sense as well for us you believe and i quote what you seek is seeking you unquote can you tell us when did you turn spiritual or if i may ask what made you a spiritual person ah uh, it is a journey spirituality is a journey uh where you don't know when it ends and you don't know when it starts is what i feel um you know from the way now that i'm now that i have a daughter uh and sometimes i read these other sometimes i read these parenting books or scientific books and sometimes i read these spiritual books sometimes you wonder if it starts from the womb itself i don't know um but uh, i think of course my parents did give us a good base in the sense they were not extremely religious people uh, that also helped because probably if they were very uh extreme or ritualistic or something maybe i would have been averse to the process i don't know uh they were god fearing they are god fearing people uh we grew up in that environment but they never like were you know temple hopping all the time um probably once a year when we visit uh our grandparents we just go visit our uh you know our village temple or something like that uh they've always taught us there's a power above us for sure you know because anytime we were distressed my mother will just say you know just i'll pray for you or my grandmother will say i'll pray for you uh, you know just saying that kind of gives you that confidence or they'll say you know just uh, pray god and then go for your exam you know something simple just to say uh that there is a power above uh us so i guess to at least cut the ego off uh, from us but i guess um, 
I it's hard to say. I think it's been a again. I don't know if the universe provided me this knowledge or I went searching for it. Um, as I said, what you seek is seeking. You just comes. Uh, so I think there were many. Uh, there was a phase, of course. Most of us go through where you feel really low. You feel a little lost, uh, whether it's personally, professionally, and then when that happens, I think that uh, probably was uh, happening to me sometime before far afternoon. You know, you feel you're trying, trying, trying. Nothing is happening in terms of work. Okay, and then you start self-doubting. Am I good enough? To am I good in this career? Then you see your friends moving ahead in life and career or personal life. I think we all go through that phase. Um, and then there are people who come, people who go. Some people help you through the process. Some people add to the stress. Um, so how how much can your family and friends also help you through this uh, turmoil? Uh, I guess that's when you know. Uh, the there were i i was do i don't know i uh things started to happen i started uh, uh connecting to the universe better in terms of even simple things like uh doing having a terrace garden growing my own food uh, i was exposed to yoga i was uh, exposed to meditation at my yoga center uh reading up on books um and as i said people come people go they teach you um so it's hard to say or even like my dog entered my life you know that i learned from my dog as well or now i have a child i learned from her i learned from the people around me so it's very hard to say when that journey began but um, maybe it started as i said it could have started mm-hmm. even when uh in my mother's womb maybe she was praying then i don't know so but uh, that's what there is this uh, line somewhat translated in uh, raman's one of raman's uh, kavali saying oh i i was smelling this uh, fragrance and i went searching for it i was looking for you and finally i realized that fragrance is in me so i guess yeah it's hard to say uh when it starts when it's always been inside yeah okay. i agree with the with the way you put it and also we have something called you know the prarabdha karma and everything so but, uh, we are spiritual beings and then human beings later yes i totally agree and it's a lot to do i believe in blessings and prayers i believe a lot of the karma that my grand uh parents my forefathers my ancestors would have done i think it's all i believe in all that spiritual uh, blessings in that sense and uh, even today for me every time i need to ask my parents or uh, you know tell them to you know before i set out or something and say pray for me because that genuine prayer from genuine people i believe it really uh, works you can attract the universe in the way you do and funnily um uh, so my daughter who uh, we encourage her to read ever since she's a baby so there is this book uh that is astrophysics for babies and there was a little oh. uh i mean people i mean it's very simplifying everything so there is astro uh, evolution for babies that's one book so the other book we picked for her was astrophysics 
very very in simplified terms and good drawings for children just for them they might not really understand the larger concept but it's a good introduction but there is a little uh, line there about uh, the book says uh, so when stars die the atoms disperse and then uh, and we are all made out of atoms so there is a little bit of every star in you you know from those atoms so that kind of blew my mind saying that scientifically also it's kind of saying that in universe we are all connected in some way and even as i said uh, when uh, i said somebody said oh why you even worried uh, the when something has to happen the right people will come to you or even in dagger's episode raman says you know when you uh, you know give up on the world the world will come to you i think the minute when you stop yeah. searching things will come so i guess even for me when that frustration or all the negativity when one has when you're going through and it's so easy for us to start blaming the other person for the for all the sadness or the negativity or whatever you're going through it's easier to blame somebody else or a situation but finally it's all in us to you know uh, overcome all that i mean the world will keep happening and uh, it's up to us on what we attract or what uh, we repel from it so i guess when i stopped worrying about oh my god work is not happening or the the kind of work i want to do is not happening uh, when i gave up on that and i said okay let me just do things i i, I went to do theater even in theater i went back to do in theater i uh, given it up in between so that also has these little exercises meditation you know that calms you but at the same time i'm learning uh, a bit of acting so it helps me later if i'm you know directing my people so it's just about doing your job and not expecting the result as the geeta says i think a lot of those happen so I think it's good that people go through these low phases at some point in life because they are good lessons uh, uh, that they teach you. And probably if I didn't go through that, I would not be aware of so many things, or not be aware of myself. Forget about the world. I might not be aware of who I am or uh, who, what I want, or any of those things. You know, uh, because you touched upon this Dagger's episode number two on um, harmony with A. R. Rahman. most uh, touching episode for me was in the episode 2 when he speaks about his father's association with uh, his veena and how days before his death the string breaks you know that was really well presented in terms of visualization because as i said when i was watching it again i was watching it as if i'm watching for the first time because it was a long gap between the two times i watched second time and uh, that particular whole visuals and the story got, you know uh, brought me to tears you know taking this one topic you know how did this whole thing go about uh, in the in the in the script and how did you do this so right in our research process itself uh, as i said it's a elaborate process uh, how we filtered and um, i my method is i i am not actively directly involved in the research in the sense i don't go and meet these people for interviews or ask them questions because i believe that would make me lose out on the spontaneity when i go for the shoot so i um, 
send my research person of course she has a certain set of questions but my team and i also work on a certain set of questions that we like to ask uh the person we are working with in the uh research time itself um and these questions uh, might not be related to his art or his job or anything else uh in fact i tell people sometimes the amount of questions or the list we have it sometimes makes it sound like we are like some psychiatrist or some psychoanalysis analyst because we ask all sorts of questions like um it could be spiritual it could be philosophical it could be what they believe in and a uh, lot of such questions we ask our research person to first ask our protagonist um then she comes with the answers as an audio tape then we sit and listen to that again and then within that again if we need to if we have further questions we kind of jot it down then ask her can you go back and please ask these questions so there's a lot of back and forth so this way even if the a uh, musician is irritated that we are asking so many questions he's not irritated directly to my team member it it, it is deferred by my research person and even the kind of research person i am like i select is also making sure that she is empathetic and she is um you know because she is the first face to what we are doing so in fact uh, daga ji um initially was reluctant to do this series because as you know he's not a very mainstream kind of or a person who's looking for uh popularity or the money or spotlight, spotlight. Yeah. uh he was worried if this concept will be too commercialized or anything so but uh vaishnavi is such a endearing person our research person so when she landed up there and uh, had these conversations with uh, daga ji so daga ji much later told me you know what if vaishnavi didn't uh, turn up or if not for vaishnavi i wouldn't have probably taken up uh, the series because she uh, i i had a sense of trust in what uh, she was asking and doing so it's very important for me for the person who uh, who represents us in that sense so at the same time we were the ones who were asking a lot of those questions and making her ask those things so in that process of course we learned a lot about his so it's like as if I, we now got to know his whole life and um, we understood his association with his uh, father or what he went through um so um when that portion when we heard uh and for me because i've always been a romancer fan from like childhood i've always like whatever paper clipping or interviews or whatever he's given i i was always up to date with it so i didn't have to do a separate research for romancer but we all know also about romancer's uh story with his father um how he lo- he too lost him early in life and things like that so when I heard Dagaji's story about his father. There was something that struck me and said, "Oh my god, there is some sort of, you know, parallels happening with Ramansa's life as well, something similar with his father." So that's when we said, "Okay, maybe they should have a conversation about this in their own way, but we should kind of prod them to, you know, talk about this." So, um and luckily for us also his father's uh uh tomb was behind their house itself so so we kind of uh, told ramansa you know what 
uh, why don't you take uh, take him uh, show him there and uh, dagaji can show ramansa there and you know pay their respects there and uh, obviously when they go there then it would be talking about fathers so we got them talking naturally about their fathers but in terms of that intercut and that uh, emotion that finally came through again i guess a lot of credit should go to vijay to piecing it together uh, a lot of credit of course to the kutubi kripa team for the kind of music i wanted to go with that they built in a beautiful musical piece for that uh, portion of the thing so i think it again it's all how everything finally came together and again as i said um, how uh, the universe works we had actually set a certain frame to take uh, dagaji's interview um it, he was sitting somewhere else and uh, we were shooting that and then suddenly the power went and uh, then we didn't have we were running on generator but the generator was able to handle only a few set of lights not all so then we had to change the position uh, of him sitting um so that it still looks decent with the amount of light we had and only after we set it up we realized he was sitting between his father and his uncle's photo um so it was like a metaphorical thing that was happening and as he was narrating that story uh sitting in front of his father that also gave like a very beautiful layer to the narration and i thought like maybe if we had set it up in the place we sat yes it would have been a beautiful frame no doubt but this little layer that we have of his father overlooking him as his father's picture overlooking as he's talking wouldn't have worked as well so yes so it's just uh, how everything finally brought together and uh, again why i give credit to uh, vijay is um, we were taking time to settle in into the process of how we can start piecing the story together and in fact dagger's episode was the first uh, episode we shot and edited and though it was the second episode in the series so this was one of the earliest uh, portions that vijay was working for a long time and we went a little back and forth and uh, this little episode came out first uh, in our edit and then we worked around the whole story i i am just thinking how many such stories would be in all four episodes and the fifth one the grand uh, uh, production there wow i mean i i have lot more to discuss with you shruti i don't know when but uh, i'll go to my next question i have so many things this was so interesting story you know this really touching i mean everything so many things go go on the set there and uh, yeah you have to write a book about make this. it sound it sound too big <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know every episode ends with a music in the end rahman sir takes this musician first of all who carried those you know musical equipment there you know it's so heavy how did that idea come um we always knew we are going to uh, you know uh, have a little musical piece at the end like a fi- little finale to the end episode you know each of the episode because it kind of gives a little closure or a conclusion to each of the journey that ramansa was taking and uh, we also knew that we wanted to do it sort of like outdoor itself because since we are going to such beautiful locations in india why not 
be one among them and highlight that and uh, we know that uh, Rahman sir is a nature lover and something like that we've always seen Rahman sir perform in a set or uh, on stage so something like this will also be uh, different um so as i said uh, dagaji's episode i don't initially the idea um you know what finally happened is not only were we uh, over time we were showcasing a rare musical instrument but in the process we also were showcasing one new instrument from romance's side uh but that process to be honest became uh, it was something that it's yeah. an idea that came a little bit later so when we as i said we shot dagaji's episode first um so obviously because dagaji is, is a very traditional indian instrument rahman sir wanted to take the continuum boat which is the closest he could play uh, to get the gamakas and things like that and we have seen rahman sir played the continuum boat now for the last few years for most of his concerts or he's used it since delhi six was released and things like that so um he said okay i'll get the continuum boat for this and we can jam and stuff like that uh, we said yeah sure so i mean makes it, it's a great idea and <laughs> carrying the equipment you have to give it to his crew of uh, uh, assistants but it looks like he they are used to carrying his equipments wherever he goes because he usually sets up a mini studio in the rooms that he stays in and because he's such a workaholic like even after that he comes back to the room and does composing and recordings and things like that um so his crew is extremely used to this carrying these uh, equipments and making sure they reach safe and of course they've also done Uh, multiple concerts now with him so they carry these equipments around but um by the time we came to uh, the kerala episode that's when suraman so sir said you know what maybe you know uh, the continuum might not go well with uh, this the, the, there's this new other instrument that's come up i want to try it out so raman sir also likes to experiment with himself and the instruments he has so it's like a toy that he keeps you know playing with uh so then he said you know happy ji is there we should try it out and by then when the second episode by the kerala episode when he brought this happy ji and that looked like another different uh, instrument to all of us that's when it struck me and i said so you know what maybe now you should third episode you can't repeat the your main instrument you should probably get something else and for rahman sir that's not a problem at all because he's constantly buying something new you know experimenting and this is also a good opportunity for him to also experiment and try them out some of them he's trying it out for the first time probably or not so or maybe he's not played as much on it so that's when by the third fourth episode we said you know sir why don't you get something different and uh, we kind of uh, that's how it worked out so uh in terms of yes it was really spontaneous the la- uh, how the pieces came together um they we set it up they would have a general idea they'll have a little discussion so i'll say you know maybe you should do this maybe i should do that and yes they'll take it from there <coughs> yeah and it's as spontaneous as it looks and of course sir would do a little clean up after that um and in the form that we know 
that is today but yes it's all very spontaneous and even for us uh, for us to shoot also we were like okay how do we go about it and um so we'll probably ask them to do it two three times but because it's spot spontaneous and impromptu you know the second take might be slightly different from the first take but you'll still need some close ups and you know you'll still need some wides and you know things that we'll have to cut and go uh, several times but yeah uh, it's all spontaneous nothing was exactly pre- it's not like he composed it previous day and said okay play it like this it's definitely a collaboration that happened uh what is your take on making documentaries in performing arts after your experience should we make more of course uh, uh for me personally it's also an exciting journey because you're translating one art into another art form that's how i see it whether it's music or dance or art it's amazing to see the journey of how an artist's minds work uh that is one there is also um how you know in, there are so many uh performances of so many art forms that are getting lost uh, or they're not being heard why something is being done like this or many uh shows or many musicians like it's not always that you can land up going to watch a broadway performance or something like that so um these kind of uh, uh documentaries on performing arts are like what do you say the repository uh, or an archive for the future generations because many of these musicians or artists they might not be around for long uh, and how much can uh, some of this process be documented on paper in books or stories because certain things finally one needs to hear one needs to see um one needs to connect to the art form the way somebody would have connected when they are live like for me as i said when kishan kana was painting um i could feel that meditative process and as an a filmmaker i wanted to see how i can translate that process onto screen so my audience would feel the same or say even with rahman sir as a fan uh, the first time when i met him i was just amazed at his uh, childlike enthusiasm i was amazed by his uh, uh, his little sense of humor uh, so as a fan uh, i think i wanted to see how i can bring that into a documentary uh, for the viewers to see what i i have experienced um and more than anything say these become great and people like rahman sir or people like amazon supporting such ventures it gives a platform a bigger platform for these art forms to reach out to a wider audience uh, which would have otherwise gotten lost like if you see manipur vedavati ji everybody is like oh where did you find uh, this person we've not even heard a person like this this voice obviously she had a certain restriction because of language uh, she didn't know english uh, she had the restriction from, from the place she comes from so she was unable to reach the kind of place she could reach uh, that she deserves but such documentaries give her that kind of reach um, to tell people about what she has been doing for so long or even dagar ji for that matter apparently he was saying after 
the documentary uh, there were two three funds that approached him and they sponsored uh, him uh, he's got two three more students now uh, than before you know so it's keeping the art form alive which would have otherwise died so i mean the the purpose uh, for something like this is so much and beyond or even for the fact that uh, i know many people who started visiting manipur and sikkim after they saw the series because they said oh my god we didn't re- realize there's a place like this in india uh, maybe next holiday why should we go abroad let's go here you know so there are so many uh, if things are said right uh, it will have the positive impact could you tell us about your project cinema resource center that uh, i follow on instagram it's very very interesting project uh, what you have taken <laughs> up thank you cinema resource center is now almost okay. 10 years old um uh, but this uh, started more out of a, again a passion or out of a necessity i felt um because as as you know i didn't come from a film background my family never watched films so when i wanted to make cinema or i wanted to understand films or uh, i i felt i didn't have the right kind of access uh, or there's also when you say i want to join films or make cinema there's always this mind block of it being you know it's such an ugly place to work in or it's not safe but one doesn't really know what goes behind into making a film to appreciate it so many things and more than anything um this is way before like 15 20 years ago when you go outside chennai or outside india when you say you work in films they say oh is it bollywood and one i had to say you know indian cinema is not just bollywood and uh, for me especially when i was um, a young child uh this i used to visit my grandparents in kerala and that was again you could say one of the most uh, uh impactful uh times of my life every time i spend my summer holidays there so there were times over over a few summers most of my cousins might not land up so there were no cable tv so we used to borrow these vhs tapes and watch some malayalam films and at that point i didn't understand so much malayalam but i knew there was something very the the kind of stories they were saying in those films in the 80s and early 90s were just beautiful whether it's humor or drama they were picking up stories that was unseen or unheard in any other part of india but i felt they didn't get the right kind of credit and nobody knows at least now people thanks to subtitling or the reach of ott many people who are non malayalam speakers or non tamil speakers on kannada they're all watching now all kinds of films but at that point anybody and everybody thought indian cinema is bollywood so i wanted to set up this uh, museum kind of space of course we are right now it's fully just funded with my own money but we hope we would get some funds to have this space to interact and uh have we we've done a few film screenings and uh again documentaries and different kind of films because like me when i thought cinema was only feature films that were seen on theaters i wanted more people to know there are other kinds of cinemas other kind of storytelling that can happen other kind of movie makers not just your mainstream movie makers and uh, i also because of my passion for 
films i always used to stay save this little ticket buds or movie articles magazine articles and that it's a my own collection kind of grew like whatever i was assisting a, fil- a filmmaker and those that production house was closing down and they were a very old production house and when they were demolishing the building they were throwing away um truckloads of lobby cars and posters of all the films that they had made earlier so i just requested them and for me it was heartbreaking to see them just go like that and i kind of resurrected i said can i just take them can i put it in my car and take them home if you're just throwing so like that my collection of these uh, film memorabilia also grew uh, south indian film memorabilia and i felt the information that each of these materials were had so much so that's when i decided it should all be put into a trust and uh, it should people should have easy access to it so right now though we um, we've not done, gone back to doing our film screenings with the covid and other situation uh, we are now digitizing and cataloging and preserving all these uh, a memorabilia that we have we have like old film magazines dating from 1930s 40s so there are a lot of information that one has so um we are many research people phd students who are researching on uh, a particular director film director or a uh, or anything to do with south indian cinema and most of them surprisingly are abroad and very few are doing such research in india itself so they contact us and we provide them these information that they need so it's again about hoping to spread the word about uh, south indian cinema and hoping that um cinema doesn't feel like something from another world if people and the public have good interaction with it in terms of what goes into the making of it and things like that people won't go through uh, the the kind of experience that i felt as an outsider in cinema so it should be easily accessible is what i feel and that's how cinema resource center started my last question to you you are not only a director but an entrepreneur focusing on sustainability and that brings to the question of your goli soda store because you are trying to even encourage the entrepreneurs or the small businesses and supporting them can you talk about this uh, initiative uh, goli soda store thank you um so goli soda for me uh, if filmmaking is my passion uh and my dream i think goli soda is a duty that i have towards our planet earth is what i feel because i didn't uh, in any way think i'm going to be an entrepreneur in any way i didn't even think i had that blood in me to be an entrepreneur though i my grandfathers come from a business background uh my mother was an entrepreneur herself uh but i thought i, I was not cut off for that um uh, but i think uh, as i said i was very much interested in nature in uh being with animals and everything uh and i thought that was the line i would take uh but of course cinema chose me that uh, love was far more greater but my love for nature and the universe in that sense the animals and things like that was still strong and over time when i just saw the places i used to visit and as i said we i was a active girl scout we used to trek inside the forest you know camp 
in forests and things we should we used to just drink water just off the river uh, there was no concept of carrying you know uh, bottled water and in just in my own lifetime in just what 10 years i could see that this was not possible like we used to swim in my grandmother's uh, house river in just 10 15 years it's all forgotten um, we have literally massacred our environment uh, global warming is a reality right now you know you can see what's happening in the us the cold wave um, so there is a sense of urgency of what we need to do to the planet and um, it around 2012 it was very easy every time i'll see an overflowing dustbin i think the problem in india is so we are so immune to seeing the dirt we think it's not our problem so but for me because i went out for a shoot uh, in the himalayas or something and when i came back to the city it just hit me the amount of garbage that's lying around and it was so easy to complain and say hey the government is not doing anything about it but the truth is the garbage uh that's lying in front of my house i have contributed to it as well so that's when i decided i need to do something about it i needed to lead a sustainable life and i was into organic gardening and when i was doing organic gardening i realized i needed compost i realized i could compost at home itself because you learn about composting in school you think that can be done only in villages but you don't realize it can be done even in apartment spaces so that's when one of my friends said hey can you also have this compost pot so that my husband runs a cafe and a boutique in chennai so she was saying why don't you keep these compost pots in uh, your store because you know even i want these and that's when it struck me that there are many people like me who want to lead a sustainable life but we didn't have easy access to these products um so that's when because my husband had this boutique i said okay give me one section i'm going to just take over it and have uh, sustainable products uh, and i also realized there were many people actually doing sustainable products but they didn't have that kind of marketing skills or the visibility so we needed to support them so with a lot of research and hunting we found these products um we started selling in the store but again at that point the whole concept of sustainability in 2013 was very new so we had to do a lot of workshops and seminars and demos on how certain products are used or what is it to lead a sustainable life create awareness so over time we had a lot of support and now of course i'm very very thankful that sustainability and uh people are uh, the whole concept of you know being vegan and so many other things that you don't have to explain yourself what it is uh, i don't need to do so many workshops that i used to do like before it's almost become a trend i just hope the trend is not misused uh but used positively so now a lot of people have gotten into it so we also over time we wanted to reach out beyond chennai we started our online store uh we've also started manufacturing our own products because we felt there are still some products that are still unavailable in the market and we need to fill that void so we started manufacturing and more than anything we are supporting these many products and brands that need that platform to you know uh be heard and marketed and compete with the other uh you know brands that are usually there in 
the urban market but most of our brands come from rural backgrounds by self help groups and things like that so we believe now that sustainability is just not about um, you know having uh, using natural or organic products there's more to it it is about where the products are sto- sourced from how are you paying are you paying fair um, there is a whole the whole supply chain cycle of the product where does that product ultimately go the packaging ultimately go i think these are the every little aspect that we look into uh, before we even start selling a certain product so yeah so that's good okay. sort of you know i have been following um, your work since the time the documentary has come out so for the past 2 years plus i can say uh, so it's been phenomenal the, the way you are spending time in all these you know uh, be it filmmaking be it and now you are a parent to one and a half year old child so it's really amazing how you balance time in doing all these three to four things you know and so more power to you shruti thank you and i can't do it without my team <laughs> of anybody whether it's the team at home my family the team at office my team in my film work uh, i think i believe in team work i believe uh, we are just a medium i mean it's just all of us coming together and that's about it i'm yes. not doing this alone it was a really pleasure talking to you shruti thank you so much for your time so I hope you found this conversation with Shruti insightful and you enjoyed learning about stories behind Harmony with Ehar Rehman. We will catch up soon on our next episode where we host entrepreneurs changing the landscape of performing arts of India. Until then stay safe and have a good day.